Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Want to spend a summer Sunday laughing your cares away? Then come join the fun at San Francisco's Comedy Day. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs, and it's free. Besides our annual celebration of stand-up, did you know that Comedy Day offers workshops that teach Bay Area students how to use humor to resolve conflict? Comedy Day is so serious about ending bullying, it's banning all comedians from using the following phrases. Knee slapping, side splitting, break a leg, bust a gut, knock them dead. Those words hurt. But Comedy Day feels good. It's fun for the whole family. Did I mention it's free? Hey, comedy fans, don't miss the 37th Annual Comedy Day, the original longest-running free outdoor comedy concert in the world. The funny starts at noon on Sunday, September 17th at Sharon Meadow in Golden Gate Park, San Francisco. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs. It's free! Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard, as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for me five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness. 
Glass Avenue, San Francisco is located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! has already been done before, and there's nothing really you can do about it. So remember to avoid taking risks and to whisper into feathers together in the dark. It's the right thing to do, and viewers like you. When the circus is in town, it's time for a train ride. Circus Town train rides are the dependable ones that'll depart and arrive on time. The ones that'll take you from clown to trapeze quad to elephant, see? I'll come on the train with the circus promise. It's intense. Listen to Shaggy's Soul Shakedown Party tonight. Alright folks, as you know, as you know, Shaggy's Soul Shakedown is every Thursday. Every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. here on mutinyradio.fm. What's with the limp? I got hit by a car on my bike. This person just ran a red light. How are you going to work? You wait tables. I don't know. I'm terrified. I count on my tips and these hospital bills are confusing. The insurance adjusters just treat me like I'm a piece of paperwork. Man, you should go to johnstrausslaw.com. John Strauss is a great personal injury attorney. When I got hurt, he handled everything for me. He was on my side. And best of all, I didn't have to pay out of pocket. He got paid when I did. That's great, because I cannot afford to pay out of pocket. Yeah, don't let them confuse you and trick you. They treat you like you're a business. It's not business. It's personal. Injury. JohnStraussLaw.com Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny
Hello, 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 hello and welcome. Happy Friday, everybody. You're listening to Women's Magazine on MutinyRadio.fm here in San Francisco's Mission District, my hometown. I'm Global Val. Thanks for tuning in to the show. It's a beautiful day. I hope you're out there having a good day, too, uh, even in the midst of all this craziness. Um, you know, be be your own calm in the storm. I uh, that was a little music from local band gone wildly, uh, fantabulously popular, Cone Brio, um, the Cone Brio Trio. You can check out more of their music at the band Cone Brio, C-O-N-B-R-I-O, the band conebrio.com. Um, that, that song, early, uh, the second song was Cadillac, and I liked her refrain, uh, uh, I'm a I'm a grown ass woman, um, so and and I'm not I'm not going to take it. So I, I've got a few little news stories that we should talk about. Things that have been happening this week um, up in our, our friendly neighbors to the north. The, those 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 affable uh, Canadians um, up in Alberta. Uh, the breakthrough abortion pill. Um, is uh, has been approved. Um, so an abortion treatment Alberta promised would be available and free to women um, is still difficult to find uh, two years after being approved by Health Canada. Um, but it is something that is becoming widely available for, for women. Um, approximately 500 women have taken the new medical abortion treatment free of charge uh, at a clinic in Alberta since January uh, with funds the clinics get from the Alberta Health Services. So um, we've got the Canadian government to the north of these contiguous United States um, saying, you know what, women should be able to have free or low-cost abortion access and not not just um not just that, but you know, in a in a place where uh, clinics themselves or medical procedures are are harder to come by, a, a bigger invasion, um, this abortion pill, um, it will now be widely available. Um, but they're just kind of rolling it out. Uh, I, a couple months ago, I did a show here with some of the students um, from a group at UC Berkeley called Surge, um, who have been petitioning the the University of California at Berkeley to carry the abortion pill in their medical clinics on campus. Um, so. You know, if we want to guarantee a constitutional right of women to access abortion, um, this would be a an easier, less invasive, um, and more convenient way to do it. Um, you know, on the other side of the the uh, <laughs> the fence called our national border, of course, we see a an administration in Washington. Um, a lot of lawmakers who find that it's their religious moral duty um, to to not govern for the people, but rather to govern from their own high horse of, uh, you know, not wanting women to have access to not just birth control or abortion, but, you know, health care in general. Um, the the House bill that initially got passed, uh, the American Health Care Act um, that got passed a couple months ago by the House, um, you know, it included provisions that would essentially just strangle uh, off Planned Parenthood. Uh, it would basically not give money to states and to reimburse states for giving and supporting local Planned Parenthood clinics, which are often the only medical clinic available to people, um, and certainly for a low cost, sometimes totally free. Um, and you know, they they operate from this. Uh, the, these lawmakers, these Republican lawmakers, uh, have been, you know, taking this stance against abortion for a long time. But Planned Parenthood, only three percent of their services are abortion, and those actually are not funded by government uh, budgets. Um, so, 
Um, it's it's a real twisted battle out there, um, but we've got to stay vigilant and look toward better examples of uh, countries, like most countries around the world, who see healthcare as a right and not as a privilege. Speaking of rights, uh, I always like to go back to the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights in the Constitution, um, which guarantees freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, freedom of the press, uh, freedom to peaceably assemble, and um, and to uh, redress government for grievances. And so uh, the First Amendment has been under attack for quite some time, and uh, the First Amendment uh, protections of the press and of speech, um, specifically of the press and, um, well, well, both right now at this point in time. Uh, I want to reference the massive arrests that were made in Washington, D.C. on J20. That's January 20th. That was the inauguration day, 2017, and where uh, there was a, a group of, you know, kind of people who were actually causing um, damage, you know, breaking windows and such. Um, uh, you know, there, there was a, a contingent of that. But then in the, in the same area, there were hundreds of other peaceful protesters who um, just happened to be in the vicinity including journalists and including legal observers who were there to make sure everything was, you know, people's rights weren't violated. Um, but what the Washington, D.C. Police Department ended up doing was it's what they refer to as kettling. Um, so basically, like, surrounding, like, all these folks and, and pushing them into uh, these this smaller area and then just mass, like, mass arrests. Um so a lot of the charges have been dropped, um, but a lot of the but some of the folks um, are still facing criminal charges. Um, many of them uh, related to inciting a riot, um, but uh, a lot of the folks there were just kind of peaceful bystanders and not participating in, you know, any of the. Uh, smashing of windows or anything like that. Um, so I wanted to read to you about this particular person in, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, or from San Antonio. And I got this article from the San Antonio Current by Steve Jansen on July 25th. San Antonio photographer faces 70 years in federal prison for documenting Inauguration Day protests. It's a cold, gray, and rainy Inauguration Day of United States President, you know who. And the San Antonio-based photographer, Alexi Wood, hustles to stay moving on the streets of downtown Washington, D.C., dodging stun grenades and police-dispersed pepper spray, serenaded by wailing sirens. Wood, who's alongside at least six other reporters, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 protesters and a couple of hundred cops, is covering a march against fascism and capitalism on January 20th via live stream on Facebook. A portion of Wood's 42-minute footage resembles a war zone. At one point, after the sounds of another non-lethal grenade thwacked in and around DC's Logan Circle neighborhood, an out-of-breath Wood says into his cell phone and video camera, this is going to be a long day, y'all. Wood's recording captures individuals clad in black block, head-to-toe black garb and wearing masks, spray-painting revolution or death on a slate gray grate and bashing out the windows of a limousine. 
On the corner of L and 12th Streets, the dueling narratives between the protesters and the police collided, with members of each group sustaining injuries in various baton strikes, shoves, and dog piles. Wood, a 37-year-old freelance photographer and videographer, was there for it all, broadcasting live footage that dropped viewers straight into the heart of the intense scene. But Wood paid a price for his in-the-trenches maneuvering. While on the front lines of the clash between protesters and the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department officers, armed riot cops deployed pepper spray and ensnared a group of more than 230 marchers and journalists, including Wood, embattled MPD Police Chief Peter Newsham, it's Newsham, ordered the mass apprehension. The arrested were subsequently charged with felony rioting, which carries a statutory maximum of 10 years in prison and a $25,000 fine. Felony charges were eventually dropped against a handful of the arrested journalists, but the opposite happened to Wood and 213 other arrested protesters and reporters. The Superior Court of the District of Columbia smacked the defendants with a superseding indictment that tacked on charges of urging to riot, conspiracy to riot, and destruction of property. The indictment says that Wood, along with hundreds of defendants, took part in a 33-minute riot through 16 blocks, quote, to facilitate violence and destruction, end quote. Wood, who on the day of his arrest carried an SLR camera in one hand and his cell phone in the other, said he didn't destroy any property, let alone hurt anyone. If convicted, Wood faces between 70 and 80 years in federal prison. 70, between 70 and 80 years. These are what these charges carry if he were to be convicted. Critics have called the charges arbitrary and unbelievably harsh. While the MPD has been accused of using excessive force in a bellicose attack of basic First Amendment rights. Wood said pr prosecutors offered him a plea deal of one year in prison deferred to one and a half years of probation, a thousand dollar fine and 60 hours of community service, even though he doesn't appear to come anywhere close to rioting or destroying property in court evidence. His Facebook live video. He flat out refused hearing uh, the, the details of the deal. He's like, don't, don't talk to me about plea deals. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, Wood goes on, I think these charges are just fucking absurd. I feel like I have an utterly strong case just like everybody else, says Wood, who is set to go to trial on November 20th, which is not a speedy trial, by the way, on charges filed by U.S. Attorney Channing D. Phillips. Quote, it was indiscriminate arrest and I'm ready to fight. End quote. Brett Cohen, Wood's legal counsel, adds, I probably won't say much about the case at this time other than to say his live stream of the incident speaks for itself. William Miller, a spokesperson for the Department of Justice's U.S. Attorney's Office, told the San Antonio Current that the department would not comment on a pending case. Uh, Dustin Sternbeck, director of communications at the MPD, uh, which has been condemned by the D.C. mayor's office and various rights groups for its handling of Inauguration Day arrests, um, refused to comment when contacted by the current for multiple interview requests. Though it's unlikely that Wood will live the remainder of his life in jail for simply documenting a protest that lasted a whopping 33 minutes. That doesn't excuse MPD's grave missteps and the ensuing prosecutorial overreach. That's uh, according to Mara Verheyden Hilliard, the executive director of the Partnership for Civil Justice Fund. Uh, the D.C.-based group, which has sued the MPD for protest arrest-related documents that the police department won't cough up, has seen a growing trend of journalists getting swept away in mass arrests during free speech rallies. 
Uh, Verhayden Hilliard says, this is an unprecedented attack against fundamental First Amendment rights, free speech, association, and freedom of the press. What that means is for anyone who is marching in a First Amendment march, if somebody else commits a criminal act of property damage or other criminal act, and you happen to be in the proximity and presumably share a similar lawful political view, you'll be charged with a crime. It's extremely dangerous. It's a form of collective punishment, and it's also illegal. In the months after his arrest, the normally upbeat Wood, who has spent most of his life in Texas as a resident of Corpus Christi, Austin, and for the past four years, San Antonio, said that he has suffered PTSD and depression. Weeks afterward, I took a bite of a jalapeno and I had a full-fledged panic attack flashback of getting pepper sprayed, said Woods. In his Inauguration Day protest video, Wood appears to be pepper sprayed. Because he and other marchers had been standing quietly, waiting for an order to break up the march that protesters and critics say never came, he wasn't wearing his gas mask. He dropped to his knees, barely able to hang on to his phone that's still live-streaming to social media. I know I'll be okay, Wood whimpered into the camera. This is some of the worst pain I've had in my fucking life, and it won't go away. Wood, whose press pass dangles around his neck, struggled to move from his knees to a seated position as he barely grasped the cell phone camera. The live stream picture jolted all over the place to the boots of police officer to the sidewalk, and the video abruptly ends. So, uh, the state of the First Amendment in the United States. Stay on top of this. Stay vigilant, stay woke, and make your voices heard. There's a reason we have rights, and it's because people have fought for them. They have not been given out freely like Halloween candy.
are listening to Women's Magazine here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val. Again, a little more music from Combrio. Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. I'm inspired by musicians. I am not a musician myself. Uh, played a, played a, I can uh, play Joy to the World with, you know, on one hand on on piano um, and obla di obla da because I had a little Casio uh, keyboard that would light up and this showed me when and where to push the keys. So I got a, a, a little bit of musical talent in me, um, but I'm always impressed by actual working musicians um, and certainly I'm grateful for the music. So Women's Magazine, um, you know, I'm not a huge uh I, I, I certainly don't really, uh, how, how can I put this nicely? The New York Times is not my favorite and most trusted news source. However, uh, they have been f- kind of bringing up this, this topic and have been following uh, this topic recently, and I'm really glad that they are, that they are highlighting it. And it's a really um, difficult topic to talk about. Um, just the pure nature of it because it affects um, girls and women uh, around the world, and including in this country. Um, the, the, and the laws that exist in many places uh, allow rapists to avoid criminal charges if they marry the girls that they rape. There's good news. Um, this New York Times article came out this past last weekend on July 22nd um, by Samini Sengupta. And it's a, a, the title is One by One, Marry Your Rapist Laws Are Falling in the Middle East. So I'll read you a little bit from this article here. Um, and also there's a picture um, of all these wedding dresses that are uh, displayed in Beirut in Lebanon um, to protest um, to protest Article 522 in the Lebanese Penal Code that stipulates a rapist is absolved of his crime if he marries his victim. So there's been a lot of like art protest of like bloodied wedding dresses and stuff. These aren't is this picture in particular they aren't bloodied but they are hanging um, over the street. Beirut, Lebanon. Gruesome billboards of a woman in a bloodied and torn bridal ground appeared around Beirut recently, captured, captioned in Arabic saying, quote, a white dress doesn't cover up rape. This spring, a women's rights group in, um, called Abad, A-B-A-A-D, hung similarly defiled gowns alongside the city's famous seaside promenade. Such provocative public awareness campaigns are part of a new push in Lebanon and across the Middle East to repeal long-standing laws that allow rapists to avoid criminal prosecution if they marry their victims. The laws were built around patriarchal attitudes that link a, that link a family's honor directly to a woman's chastity. <sighs> the marriage option is aimed at shielding the victim's family from the scandal. And as one victim's brother put it in an interview, in 2014, Morocco repealed a provision that allowed convicted rapists to evade punishment by marrying their victims. Parliamentary votes are expected as early as this summer in in Lebanon and in Jordan after government committees in both places recommended repealing similar exemptions for both the the accused and the convicted. Hmm. Any change would come too late for Basma Mohammed Latifa, whose family said she was raped three years ago in a village in southern Lebanon by a man more than twice her age. Her family did not go to the police, making a deal not to file charges in exchange for her marrying him. In June, just after the middle of the night Ramadan meal, the man went to Miss Latifa's brother's house where she was seen and shot her nine times. Experts attribute the traction of the movement to repeal these laws to a steady expansion of women's education in the region and a new kind of public activism spurred by social media, in which advocates have sometimes pushed the envelope with stunts like the bloodied gowns. Wafa Bani Mustafa, a member of the parliament in Jordan and a leading proponent of the repeal, said only a change in the law could drive a change in social norms. 
Without repeal, she argued, quote, the state of impunity will continue and the interests of the family will be put ahead of the victim's right to justice. Marriage loopholes in rape cases are not unique to the Arab world, though countries in the region are among the last to retain them in their penal codes. The Philippines, a predominantly Catholic country, still has a marry a rapist loophole. According to an 82-country survey by Equality Now, that's a women's rights group. Until 2006, so did Uruguay. And until 1994, so did France. According to Human Rights Watch. 94. Bahrain's parliament voted last year to repeal a similar law. But the executive branch of Bahrain balked, saying the marriage loophole should be revoked only in rape cases involving multiple perpetrators. And in Turkey, the government proposed last November to exonerate around 3,000 men accused of statutory rape if they married their victims and were not accused of using physical force. But so much public outcry followed that the plan was scrapped. Note the public outcry. Opposition to the push to repeal opposition to the push to repeal the Marry Rapist laws has been far more muted than that to other demands made by women's groups, including criminalizing marital rape and granting women the right to pass on their nationality to their children. But the impact of but the impact the prospective changes in the rape laws would have on the lives of ordinary women in the Arab world is a matter of debate among women's rights advocates. On top of the shame that attaches itself to rape, women's advocates say rape survivors in many countries do not always trust the law enforcement authorities to address their cases seriously. And so marriage deals are often made in private without criminal charges being filed. If the Lebanese law is repealed, it will be uh, quote, a moral victory, according to Maya Amar, spokeswoman for Kafa, a Lebanese group that works with domestic violence survivors. More survivors will have to file charges, she said, instead of settling it privately. Quote, these are cases that are not discussed in public, and they all happen in silence. In Morocco, the issue drew public attention only after a 16-year-old girl committed suicide in 2012 after being forced to marry the man she ha said had raped her. Her father said a state prosecutor had urged the accused to a state prosecutor had urged the accused to marry her in return for the charges to be dropped. The death of the girl, Amina Filali, who swallowed rat poison, prompted public outrage. Two years later, the government amended the country's rape law, eliminating a provision that had allowed a man convicted of statutory rape to escape punishment if he married his underage victim. In Lebanon, Ms. Latifa's family was averse to going public with her ordeal. She and her brother Ahmad had come from Syria as refugees. They kept a low profile as Sunnis in a predominantly Shi'i village in southern Lebanon. There, a middle-aged man visited the family for months and then, according to Ms. Latifa, Mr. Latifa, raped his sister. Villagers advised the family to negotiate a marriage contract with the man. Mr. Latifa said, My sister didn't like the deal, but I assured her it will be temporary. She ended up staying in the marriage for three years, which is what the law requires for the accused to evade prosecution. He was beating her continuously, her brother said. I used to see the scars on her face when she used to visit me. Miss Latifa finally divorced the man, but it didn't save her. He scrawled a threatening note on the side of the house where they were staying, and then the next night went inside and shot her dead. He has been arrested and is facing charges, including murder. Mr. Latifa, her brother, was skeptical about whether a change in law would have made any difference. The family members were under pressure to settle, and they were refugees with no political patrons. He said, our words won't have much impact. So, um, laws being addressed, bad laws being addressed, changes coming about. Yes, even in the Middle East. Um, 
the New York Times also wrote an article back in May about, and, and it became kind of widely publicized about this uh, young woman who was raped in Florida at age 11 and was pushed to marry her 20-year-old rapist. And she came out, um, you know, just as an adult to tell the story. So um, not just the Middle East folks uh, we're also talking about in the United States. So again, um, nowhere to go but up. Wake me up when you're leaving now. Plant a little kiss upon my head. Oh, better, yeah, better, yeah, baby. Just could come on back to bed. I don't care about no sunrise. I don't want to stay this night time, man. Oh, where are you going when I know no needed a friend? I see the
Magazine today. I'm Global Val. MutinyRadio.fm here in San Francisco. Uh, we certainly love you. We are a free speech radio station. We are here for the community. We're here to make sure that uh, we can exercise our free speech, our freedom of expression, and uh, bring people together in community so we could stream around the planet and grow with the love we have to give, because uh, that's what the world needs. Here's a little poem I wrote a little while back, and it starts with a quote from John Steinbeck. Uh, during World War II, John Steinbeck went on a trip uh, aboard a boat in the Sea of Cortez, otherwise known as the Gulf of California. And it's called The Log from the Sea of Cortez. Great, great travel adventure, uh, read. <laughs> and John Steinbeck says, And thousands of miles away, the great bombs are falling, and the stars are not moved thereby. This poem is called One Species on Earth. It's nearly absurd to think that the choices of one species on Earth could add so much calamity and effectively ignore this animal abnormality. For tigers eat what they need, snakes get hungry and feed, killer whales rush the plump seal, vulnerable with its silky belly on an ice berm. There's no risk of overeating. Yet man has taken its position and made a sport of bleeding. Farmed food, extraction of fuel, wearing a macabre mask of eccentric death. Commercial and judicial rubber stamp from the rainforest, fine print writ on a large scale, an irascible penchant for domination, even when the enemy is a work of fiction. Don't be tricked into believing in our insignificance. We've still got a chance to shift, to choose, to dance, and with an abundant satisfaction of moving in a better direction. Thanks so much for joining me today. And remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, inspiration is contagious. You can do it. So thanks for tuning in and stay tuned. The Common Thread Collective is coming up next. Our doors and minds and hearts and microphones are open and waiting for you to come and join us at 2781 21st Street, right at the corner of 21st in Florida here in the Mission District of San Francisco, my hometown. And I want to send a, a world of love and happiness to you all and also to my mother. It is her birthday tomorrow. So love you, mom. You're incredible. And one thing, uh, one great gift that my mother has given to me is I remember as a young girl, you know, saying, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And she told me, never say can't. You can say it's hard and, but I'm going to try. So don't say can't ladies and uh, peace because we can.
I don't think so. 